I think this is going to be a good one today. I'm feeling it. Welcome back to another episode of the Y'all Don't Deserve Me podcast, hosted by me, Deborah. <laughs> Don't you hate when somebody calls you by your actual name? Or is it just me? Because not everybody has a name that they like shorten. So obviously my name is Deborah, but I go by Deb. I have been going by Deb since forever. Well, really not forever. Like my household, like my family has always called me Deb. Uh, I think when I was in like elementary school, middle school, and high schoolish, because I feel like at a certain point I was Deb in there. Or maybe I was Deborah. I can't remember, but I really know for sure I was Deb Deb in college. Um, so the only people that ever really called me Deborah was the people I went to school with because it was like formally on all my documents. And when I would write my name, I would always write Deborah. When I went to college, I was just like, oh yeah, I'm switching this up. When anybody would ask me my name, I would just tell them Deb. I didn't say Deborah because I always felt like Deborah was such an adult name. And I didn't really like it. I actually was named after my aunt who passed away before I was even born. So I never met her, but I just thought Deborah was just so adult of a name. But now that I'm actually an adult, I think that is very fitting for me and my personality, actually. Like, I think that I, if anybody was going to be a Deborah, I think that I would be a Deborah. So yeah, in college, from on there, jobs out in the world, I've always been Deb. So we have this um, new girl that's working at the front desk at, at reception. And I came out to leave and I was like, oh, can you check if I have any um, tips that my client left for me? So she goes through this little like folder that they have and it has everybody's name on it. And mine says Deb, nothing at work says Deborah, nothing. Nobody there knows me as Deborah. They all call me Deb. Um, so she's going through the thing. And she goes, Deborah, it literally says Deb on the tab. She goes, Deborah, I said, yeah, Deb. It gave me the like ickiest of icks. Like I was shaking. I hate when people that do not know me call me Deborah. Or like if I introduce myself to somebody and they're like, oh, what's your name? And I'm like, Deb. And they're like, uh, what is that short for? Uh, none of your business. It doesn't matter. Why would it matter? Because that won't be what you'll be calling me. Or they'll be like, oh, um, is that short for Deborah or Debbie? And it's just like, yes, but my name is Deb to you. I don't know why people have such a hard time. Um, it's not even like I asked you to call me like Princess Buttercup. Like I didn't ask you to call me anything outlandish. I just said that my sister, her name is Tatiana. And I also think that that is a beautiful name. It's so fitting for her. And I actually picked the name out. I named her Tatiana. So I'm glad if, if I gave her nothing else in life, at least I gave her a really pretty name. So her name is Tatiana. We call her Tot, like within our home, our household, family, everybody calls her Tot. I've heard other people call her Tati. Um, I think Tati is cute. 
I think Tatiana is very adult and like sexy and womanly. So I always wondered, I'm saying I wonder like I couldn't ask her. Look, I might call her. Um, what she what does she prefer to be called? Because Tot is kind of like definitely giving kids sister, and she's never expressed like wanting to be called anything other than Tot. Like she's never said, like, no, oh, but in recent times, not in recent times, maybe in like the last four four, three or four years, I've been calling her little T and I love little T for her. Let me see. Hold on. I'm gonna call her in. Hello. Hello, little T. Hey, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. Cause I was just saying, I hate how people call me Deborah, but I'm on the podcast <laughs> right now. Wait. And my sister's the only one that I would allow to get away with calling me this. Um, and she doesn't even say Deborah. She says Deborah. And she doesn't even spell it D-E-B-R-A. She spells it D-E-B-O-R-A-H. Which I don't understand why she started doing that. But I told them I have been calling you Little T over the last couple of years. Which I like as a nickname or term of endearment for you. Um, your name is Tatiana. I told them that I named you that name. And do you like that name? I love Tatiana. Very different. I think it fits me perfectly. It does fit you. I was like, if I gave you nothing else, at the very <laughs> least, I made sure I made sure you had a good name. Okay. So I told them that we call you Tot. I have heard people call you Tati. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that? Like, do you like being called Tot, or would you prefer Tati, or are you moving into? Is this your Tatiana era? Um, I do like when I was growing up, I didn't like tot just because I felt like it was like, it reminded me of like tater tots and stuff, Okay, but it just kind of like stuck. I didn't really have no say in it. I feel like at the age, once the time it started sticking with me, it was kind of stuck. But then Tati was what I started using when I got into school. So you, you, when they asked you your name, you was like, my name is Tati. No, no. I, w- I started saying, like, when I w- teachers would ask me my name, I would say Tatiana. But students, I would say Tati. Like, friends and stuff, classmates, I would introduce myself as Tati. And then and then, Yeah, Tati started to stick. And then Tots was just, like, an Instagram name thing. And that just wound up sticking because people call you your Instagram name. Okay, okay. So you would prefer to be called Tati. I think I like Tati. I, I even think I like Tatiana because that's just I do so... like my full name too, but I feel like maybe that is something I could think about. Like maybe for my 27th birthday, I'll start introducing Tatiana because I don't hear it enough. And I, I like love Tatiana. That. Tatiana is grown and sexy. No, yes, it definitely is. And I just don't hear it enough. Tati is like young and playful. And I was like, Tot gives me like very much so this is my kid sister, Tot. Mm, so yes, you've helped the evolution for my birthday is coming together. Yes, big Tati. <laughs> big Tati, I'm not the little one. All right. Well, thank you for participating in this call on the podcast. You will be on this episode of the podcast. It's the name of, of course. the name of the episode is called Sunk Cost Fallacy. So if you would like to hear yourself, please tune in. I, will, I will. <laughs> I would love to have you in person sometime on this podcast where we can chop it up. 
Yes, I would love to be there and join, be there live in um, the flesh. But yes, I'm excited for you and I'm excited to be there soon. And yes, thank you for having me. I'm so happy this was a nice little segment to my day. <laughs> All right. I'll call you back later. All right, later. Bye. Bye. All right. So now that we have that together, um, I'm Deb and that was Tatiana. I love that though. I love that name. And I want more people to like get comfortable in like standing 10 toes down on what they want to be called. And if somebody tells you that their name is Princess Buttercup, then that's what it is. Don't be asking them, oh, what is that short for? Just accept it and, you know, let them be them. Okay. So moving forward, we are now going to get into the what we deserve for the day, right? What we deserve, we choose a what we deserve in an attempt to put it out into the universe so that we can affirm it, so that we can have it. I um, saw a clip of JT from the City Girls on Instagram. Let me find the clip so that I could play it for you all. And then we're going to get into the actual what we deserve. And I was like, how do I word this? How do I put this? Um... Here we go. Let me turn it. And and that's kind of many people have nothing to say about me. And that's kind of fucked up because why would I? Why do I have to shut up? Why do you want to live your life like that? Yeah. Why do I have to live my life like that? Because I feel like the internet has painted me. The internet has painted me as like this angry black girl. Yeah. Like she always mad. She always got an attitude. And it's like that really bothers you because you've said that to me even before we started. Yeah, like, that really bothers me because it's like. Mm -hmm. Y'all don't even know me. And it's like, I could be joking. I could just be talking. I could just be having an opinion. You could be defending yourself. And defending myself. Yeah. And I'm the mad one. I'm the, the crazy one. I'm the rude one. Like, I'm the have nothing to say about me. And that's kind of fucked up. Because why would I? Okay. So as you heard in that clip, JT talking in that clip right there literally sounds just like me. Literally sounds just like something I would say. So the what we deserve for the day is freeing ourselves of the bondage that is being perceived. I always feel like people have the wrong perception of me. Now, granted, I am a very intense person. I think that Anybody has that has spent even a little bit of time around me knows that I am very, I don't even know what we would call it. I want to call it something other than intense, uh, maybe passionate, uh, maybe solid, maybe sturdy. Um, I'm definitely opinionated. Uh, all of those things. I would like us to free ourselves of the bondage that is being perceived. We all feel and think one way about ourselves. Like in our minds and in our hearts, you believe yourself to be this type of person. And then you go out into the world and people have experiences with you. And based off of those experiences, and maybe it's not even experiences in like the literal, like the physical, just like JT is saying, like, we, none of us know JT, but we all have a perception 
of who she is or how we think she is. A lot of what I see in JT is funny because I see that in me. I think that she comes off very hard and very brash and very like always down to like tell somebody off, always down to like fight, always down to like defend or protect herself. But really what I see when I actually analyze and look at JT is a person who is very sensitive it is a person that um, at times has felt scared or has been made to feel less than or small. And in an attempt to protect herself, she has to consistently, you know, beat people to the punch before they can, you know, attack her or before. So I can, I can definitely, um, I can see how people could perceive her to be that way, but because I think that I have a lot of those similar characteristics and qualities, I see what it really is. And for me, it's always been something that has bothered me that people have had certain perceptions of me. And I always say like, you do not know me. People think they know me. They do not. You don't know me. A perception is again, an experience you may or may not have had in the physical. You may have just saw somebody online like we do, JT. You may have read a tweet. You may have read, you know, something that they have put out onto the internet. You may have uh, watched their Snapchat story, watched their TikToks, watched their whatever, however you've come in contact with this person that has allowed you to then... um, make up or assume things or come to a conclusion about them. I, I've had, had to get to the point where I accept and I understand that I don't have any control over what people think about me, what people perceive or believe who I am as a person. And it's also none of my business. I... <laughs> would like to free myself and free any and everybody else of the bondage that is being perceived. If you've ever felt like, I don't want people to think this about me, or I don't want people to feel this way about me, but they do, you got to just free yourself of that. You got to let that go. And you got to be like, I can't control. I can only be who I am. And if that comes across to other people in that way, then that just is what it is because I'm never going to be able to um, change people's minds about who I am or how I am unless I actively change myself. I would literally have to change the way that I do things, the way that I react, the the way that I move in order for them to perceive me in a different way. And then I wouldn't actually be me. So I think that people are allowed to think whatever they want and perceive you however they want. But that's that literally allow it to be none of your business. I think that it's gotten to me because people will say things to me. And just like what JT was saying um, in her video that people are always saying, oh, she's always so mad. Oh, she's always so this, or she's always so that. And she's like, y'all don't know me. I'm mo- I say this, I'm multiple different people. It's like 12 different people in here. 
on any given day, you don't know who you're going to get. On any given day, I don't know who I'm I'm going to get. I might wake up and today feel like the most jovial, happy girl in the world. And nothing is going to bother me. Nothing is going, like every little thing, I'm just like, whatever. Da, 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 da. The next day, I may wake, wake up and every little thing may bother me. Like, it's a lot of different people in here. And my reaction is not just based off of one thing. Is based off of many different things. I feel like I'm a complex individual. I'm sure that many other people are. We're all different in the way that some people aren't affected in the same ways that other people are by certain things. And for people who, like myself, like JT, what I think, feel um, and know how good we feel about ourselves and then to that not to reflect what other people see outwardly like in the world what other people perceive you as um I think that that is hurtful it does hurt your feelings when you feel a certain type of way about yourself and then other people don't and then I have to think like okay well who normally says things about me or who thinks these things and when I think about it it is people that don't actually know me don't really actually know me so if you were to have a conversation with my sister or you were to have a conversation with some of my best friends or if you were to have a conversation with my parents it it would it would tell you they would tell you a very different story than people who have just known me um in passing you know in work settings or in an associate capacity like people that don't really know me those would be the perceptions. But the people that actually know me, like the way that I said, I can perceive JT and I can understand why that why she has that perception. But what I actually see is this, what I actually believe her to be is this. Um, I think the, that's the more true definition or perception of who you are, the people that actually know you. So yeah, I just want to free y'all. I hope that made sense. I hope um, that if you are somebody who has like dealt with that, whether it's the angry black woman trope or whatever it could be, whatever people are like putting on you that in your head, you're like, that's not even me. That's not even really true. I want, I really, 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 cause I'm going to work on doing this as well. I'm just going to release it. Like it's really none of my business, especially if you're not somebody that I actually, you know, deal with consistently and if it's if you're not a person that it's affecting our relationship which the people that I named it doesn't because they really genuinely actually know who I am so yes free yourself from that bondage that is being perceived by other people you you can't control that let them think what they're gonna think and just keep being the best you can you can be so that's gonna wrap up our what we deserve for the day and we are gonna be moving on to the main event. Now we are on to the main event. I want everybody taking notes, okay? Everyone, notepads out, pens out. I need you focused for this. This is a real lesson. I've actually done real research because I wanna come to y'all with this concept. This is actually one of my favorite concepts. I've been working on making it like a staple, like one of my 
core principles, like a part of my mission statement. I want to entrench that deeply in my life because it's so important. So last podcast, when I talked about the secrets of Playboy, we discussed what I thought or felt was what some of these girls were experiencing when they were entering in this situation that they really didn't fully understand just because they were so young. They hadn't experienced this before. They got in over their heads. And once they realized where they were, as opposed to just immediately removing themselves from the situation, they stayed and went deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, and experienced worse things and stayed for a longer period of time. And what my interpretation of was that was that they were experiencing the sunk cost fallacy. What is the sunk cost fallacy? The sunk cost fallacy is our investment, whether it be time, money, effort, any type of resources into something that may not be, well, not may not, that is not going well. And instead of at some point removing our resources, removing our time, removing our money from the situation, we make further bad decisions to stay in the situation for longer or invest more than we should because of our aversion to loss. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples Um, that I've experienced, that people I know have experienced, and why it's so important to use this principle in life to understand when you should withdraw, when you should retreat, when you should pull your money back, your time back, your resources back, your effort back, because so much of our resources will get lost in not being able to just take an L. This is something else we got to talk about. Learning how to take an L. A lot of us experience loss aversion. What is loss aversion? It's when we are experiencing a loss and it feels awful. So we make further bad decisions to avoid to avoid that discomfort and to avoid the sense of loss. So it's kind of like it's a it's a cognitive dissonance element involved in it because it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. So let's get started. The first example I want to give you, and I think I'm just going to go vague with these as far as like not saying names, because I don't know if people want me to tell their business, but I think that these are pretty good examples. So the first example is um, a woman buys two cars. One, she spent $100,000 on, fully paid for. Another, she spent $60,000 for, fully paid for, plus or minus. So maybe $100,000, maybe a little less, maybe more than $60,000, maybe a little less. Um, Both the cars are paid for. The woman gets into an accident. The first car, $100,000 car, totaled. Other car in the same time frame is out of commission. It's in the shop. They discover that it needs a new engine and some other work that costs a thousand, not a thousand, eleven thousand dollars, excuse me. Costs eleven thousand dollars. The investment that was already made 
was $160,000 plus or minus. It was already made. That money is already gone. The car that has been totaled, obviously, um, a check will be written for that, but the check is going to be nowhere close to $100,000 plus or minus. So that is just a loss. Boom, push that to the side. The, the sunk cost fallacy part of this um, that we can really focus on is the other car, which is worth, uh, was worth 60000 or plus or minus, has to be um, re-engined. That is going to cost $11,000. Does it make sense at this point to then put 11 more thousand dollars into a car that value has already decreased? So if 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 the woman was going to attempt to sell that car, she would have to do it after it was re-engined to be able to make some type of money, but it really wouldn't be making any type of money. Instead of scrapping the whole thing, taking what you could get for that car as is, you're willing to invest 11 more thousand dollars into it to possibly sell it. But that would further be making another bad decision because you're not going to get out of it what you could, if you bought the engine, paid $11,000 for the engine, and then sold the car, if you check Kelly Blue Book's value for the car, you might get $20,000 for the car. You might. In this situation, what the woman is basing the value of the situation off of is the prior investment. I've previously spent this much on the car. I've invested this much. So instead of just throwing that whole $60,000 out of the window, I'm going to invest 11 more to then get 20 when I sell it. To me, sunk cost value. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense on money that you've already spent. And that's the thing about when you make an investment with the sunk cost value, once you are in the situation, you can't ever get the sunk cost back. So it is better to detach yourself from the sunk cost, from that investment. If you are able to detach yourself from that investment and you look and you see clearly and you can look to the future, you would base whether or not to stay in the midst of the investment or the situation based off of future gains and losses. If we take this example, in the future, the car is only going to be what it's worth at this time. It's the value of a car is never going to go back up. So whatever it's worth today, that is all it's ever going to be worth. And going forward, it's actually going to be worth less. So it's only going to be losses. There's no more gains 
if you take that $11,000 and you invest it, not invest it, but you, you, but yeah, you invest it. You put it back into that car just to sell it for 20 when you initially paid 60 for it. So what my mom told me, cause this is just, just feels like an L straight through. What my mom said was, well, the only reason, the only way to really salvage this situation is if then you turn that car into an asset. If you invest $11,000 to get the engine fixed, right? And then you use the car to make money. You no longer care about that car. It's not of any value to you in any other way at this point, other than if you're able to make money with it. If you do DoorDash, if you do Uber Eats, if you do uh, Toro or other like car rental services, if you're able to rent this car out and you're able to turn a profit, then maybe it'll make sense. On the engine, they will put a five-year warranty on it. So you have at least five years that you know that you're covered for the life of this car that you can now use it to turn a profit. That would be the gains portion of it. If you were just to sell it, then that sunk cost fallacy all the way through. Because again, you stayed the long haul through the process because of your initial investment. You were basing your decision off of a previous investment, which was the sunken cost that you'll never get back. But if you decide to look to the future as far as gains and you say, okay, well, if I spend $11,000, maybe I can utilize this vehicle to rent out and make some money. Now, is that a, a, a definite? No. Is that a maybe? Yes. That would be like you weighing out, again, does this make sense? Does this not make sense? Another sunk cost fallacy example a man and his fiance decide to open a salon she does hair she does nails she's been doing it pretty much her whole life she's good at it he has the money he takes a bunch of money that he has saved and he opens the storefront, buys all of the product, gets everything they need. At this point, they start hiring people and getting the ball rolling with the business. As the business gets started and rolling, he discovers that she's not <laughs> able to work with other people. So everybody that gets hired, there's always an issue. Um, they're getting fired. This woman ends up being the only one working in the salon. One person bringing in money inconsistently in a salon becomes an issue because the overhead and the money invested you're never going to be able to get a return on your investment just off the back of this one person. The reason you will open a salon is because, you know, you can charge people booth rent. You have people there that make commission. At some point, once those people start working and the business be be begins to become profitable, 
you then, you know, recoup all of the money that you put into the business. So months go by, time goes by, um, the business just continues to lose money. The man continues to put more money into the business in hopes that things will get better because on the other side, he's already spent so much. They get new people working in the salon, a repeat cycle. It is just a repeat cycle of her not being able to, to work with people, you know, things going wrong here, things going wrong there. At some point, the business is not even making enough money to sustain. And now he's taking money from his other business and funneling it into the salon, not because it makes sense, but because I've already invested so much from jump. I can't just let all of this go. So at a certain point in an attempt to salvage his other business and not allow that business to, to begin to like take a hit from pouring money into the salon business, he decides to pull the plug and let it go. In this situation, the sunk cost fallacy was that initial like first or second cycle, like those first couple of months when it was realized like, oh no, she's not going to be able to do this. This is not going to be able to be profitable. I got to get out of here now. I got to pull the plug on this now. The sunk cost fallacy allowed him to believe like this is going to get better if I just keep putting more money into it in any in most situate in any and every really most situations that involve the sunk cost fallacy on the other side you end up with nothing it really is the damned if you do damned if you don't but what you need to understand about the sunk cost fallacy is that the resources you spend on the front end are already gone and you'll never get them back even if you make the bad decision to stay through, you still will, it, it is, but it's better to get out early with fewer sunk costs. So another example we can talk about, or I can give, is think a relationship. You, you know, get into a relationship, you meet I mean, y'all are dating for a year, two years. Um, you move in together. You want to get married. He keeps saying like, yeah, we're going to get married. You know, eventually I need to make this amount of money or I need to get myself in this position in my career. Or I need to do this or we need to do that. Or we need to, you know, certain things need to be done before we can get married. So now y'all are in the relationship for two years. Y'all live together. Y'all are in the relationship for three years. Y'all um, still living together. You want to have a child and you're like, well, I would like to be married before I have a child. Okay. We're already here doing this and he's still stalling on the marriage. So you go ahead and you have a child. Now it's four years. It's five years. You're in the relationship. Still not married. Um, the relationship is and has been rocky for some time, but because you have already invested so much in the relationship, you stay in it. 
time goes by, now you're at six years, seven years, you have another child. You have two children with this person. You all still live together. He still has not so much as proposed to you. You're unhappy in the relationship now at this point. Like you're not, it's not even rocky anymore. You're unhappy. As opposed to leaving the relationship, you will stay in the relationship in hopes that the tide will turn, things will get better, and you can make something of it. In this situation, the sunk cost is your time, your effort, your youth. You have given up maybe all of your 20s, or if you started later, your later 20s, your early 30s, to be in this relationship that you believed would be profitable, would, would, which you believe that in the end, you will be able to get married, you will be happy, you will have a family, and things will be great. Somewhere along those lines, it didn't work out that way. When you moved in together, that was an investment. Um, when you had children, that was an investment. When you, you know, just did everything that a woman would do in a relationship for a man to, you know, enhance his life and make his life better. That was an investment. And you never got on the other side of that, which you hope to get. All of the things that you did in that relationship, moving in, you know, taking care of him and the kids, those are all sunk costs. You cannot ever get those years back. You cannot unchildren the children. You cannot you know, unage yourself and go back to, you know, a more youthful time when you could get out into the world and actually find somebody who did want what you wanted. As opposed to looking at the sunk cost and saying, hey, this is what it is and moving on, you say. And now you've been in a relationship with this person for 15, 20 years and y'all are still not married. <laughs> it's not funny, but... There was a situation that recently happened where a man had died. He was married to a first wife. He was in a relationship with a new woman. They had kids. He died. The wife from 1965 came back like, well, I'm collecting all this stuff, like all the money, all the whatever. This is mine. Now, the woman that he was actually in a relationship where he passed has kids and everything it's like if anything they should be able to benefit from you know his resources no the wife is standing 10 toes down not only is the wife standing 10 toes down his family is standing 10 toes down in the fact that like yeah you don't get anything you shouldn't get anything another situation like that is pmb rock we don't know what's going on behind the scenes but his girlfriend came out on Instagram or on Twitter and said something to the effect of like, you know, basically I don't get anything. I don't have any support. Like all of this is on me at this point. Nothing is in my name and I don't like to ask people for stuff. So I'm going to just do what I do. This woman has a child or children with him. I don't know how many children she has with him. This woman, um, you know, was with him for some time. I'm sure it was a significant amount of time. And because he failed to cover her, 
you know, he failed to put her in a position where if anything happened to him, her and his children could benefit. Now she asked out. So we can have another conversation about this another day. But ladies, if you are going to be in these long-term relationships with men, especially if you have children, y'all should get married. You should absolutely get married. Y'all going to do everything else involving playing house but get married. And it don't make sense. And I've even heard some girls on Instagram like in these situations, like we'll be in a relationship with a man, have kids and be like, well, not everybody wants to get married. So, so why are y'all playing house? So if you're doing everything that a marriage would consist of, but you don't want to get married or he told you he don't want to get married and now you just got to accept it because the sunk cost fallacy, basically. I done got myself into this six, seven, eight, nine, ten year relationship with this man. Got these kids. We playing house, and now he don't want to get married. So I could even get the hell on, or I could just sit in a situation and accept it for what it is. So you really got to think about what you're doing before you're doing it, and how it could affect not only you, because as an adult woman, if I leave up out of here and I have skills, I can figure out a way to live life and make money. And it's nothing to take care of myself. But then when you have two or three or four, however many children is involved in that, it, it, it becomes an extra um, burden for you to be, for you to have to manage that on your own. So consider that marriage is not necessarily just, you know, cause we're so in love and because um, I feel I deserve to be married, which I think if you are, in these long-term relationships with people and have kids with them, I think you do deserve it. But it really is a covering. Some of these people that is dying, I'm seeing these people, some of these men that's dying, they don't even have um, life insurance. So not only is the ex-wife, not even the ex-wife, the wife coming to scoop up the assets, you got to throw up a GoFundMe for the funeral or you got to scrape together whatever money you had, whatever ducats you had that could have been for you and your kids to put together a funeral. That's not it. So definitely think about that. Back to the topic at hand. That is what the sunk cost fallacy is. And the reason why it is um, very important to consider this and everything that you do is because a lot of times you can make decisions off of emotion. And I'm gonna give you a personal example. One time, I'm like one time, I had moved back from um, Atlanta to New York in 2013. I put all my stuff in storage. So I had a bed, a couch, all my pots and pans, all of my, you know, all of my things that I had in my apartment, I put it in storage. I was broke and I did not, I didn't want to go to New York, but I was broke and I couldn't afford to be in Atlanta. Right. So I did not know how long I was going to be in New York. I just knew I didn't want to be there, but also I ain't got no money. So I really didn't have a time frame of when I would make it back to Atlanta. So I come back to, um, 
New York and I was working maybe like seasonal jobs at the time. The seasonal jobs ended. I didn't have a job for a while and I didn't have no money. Like my phone got cut off um, and I was living with my mom. I'm unsure how that worked. Like maybe I didn't want to ask her for no money or maybe... I don't know, because I can't see her just being like, no, I'm not paying your phone bill. I can't see that. Or maybe she was paying other stuff for me and was like, okay, you pay, you still got to pay that. I think because I had car insurance. Um, So maybe she was paying some bills or maybe she was paying something and she was like, you going to pay that. So anyway, my phone was cut off. Um, And I also had a storage space. Remember I had that storage space, the storage fee per month was like a hundred and something dollars. I had already bought and paid for and purchased all of this stuff that was in storage. At this point, sunk cost, that money is gone. And I, I honestly, I probably didn't even pay for it. My parents probably paid for the stuff that's in storage. So at this point, I don't have any money. And my, I remember, I remember literally exactly like if I close my eyes I can see it I remember being in my room and my mom being in the bathroom and she was like well Deb why don't you just get rid of the stuff in storage like sell the stuff in storage and then you won't have to worry about having that bill and I literally like broke down like just had had a tantrum and I came out of my room into the bathroom and I stood in the door of the bathroom and I was like, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything. All that I have is my car and the stuff that I have in storage. That's the only thing that I own in this life and it's mine and I want to keep it. And she just looked at me and she was like, okay, 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 fine, fine, okay. And I just was like boohoo crying. And the value of the stuff wasn't even worth, because I, I ended up staying in New York for two years, maybe two and a half years. And then I moved back to um, Atlanta. And that stuff was in storage. Let's do the math. That stuff was in storage for two years. So let's say two years, 24 months times, maybe it was like 125. So that's $3,000 that I spent on storage, just storing stuff. The value of those items was already gone, sunk costs. For me, the value was sentimental. Like it was my things. I don't know. Well, yeah, even now. Well, I don't know. I think and we, we're going to move forward and talk about this. But I was so attached to these items. And I just think it was because it was like, again, I was young. I didn't have anything. And that was all I felt that I did have. I didn't have. And in this instance, I didn't have control over anything. Like all I had control over was you know, my little things. So I just think that it was my attempt at like trying to keep some control over something. And yeah, $3,000 
that I spent, that I invested on keeping things that were already paid for. I didn't have a job. I didn't really have the extra money to spend on this storage, but I was willing to, you know, put myself in a financial bind or stress myself out about something that was a sunk cost. So with that, I'm going to transition over to a way that I'm learning and that I will continue to learn and try to implement into my life. I love Buddhism. I have always wanted to understand life. And I think that Buddhism, it gives me the most comfort. It gives me the most realistic understanding of what is going on here. So there is a Buddhist quote and it says, the root of all suffering is attachment. Now there was a time when I went deep, 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 down in a rabbit hole about Buddhism and I was Googling and researching and reading and watching all the videos. It's very, very enlightening scurry over to youtube and google buddhism and watch some of the videos so that you can learn like some of the basic principles when you have a chance but the root of all suffering is attachment from the moment i heard that it stuck with me and i was able to correlate it with my principle of the sunk cost fallacy because in the sunk cost fallacy, you are irrationally holding on to something that the, the cost is gone. The, 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 the initial investment on whatever you're holding on to, it doesn't even hold any value anymore. But because of your unwillingness to let it go, on the back end, you're suffering. In the instance with the woman who's going to pay $11,000 to get the car fixed to then sell it for $20,000. It's pointless to the man who stayed invested into that business when pretty much at the very beginning, he could see like, oh, this woman is not going to be able to manage and facilitate this business in a way that it'll grow. To me, holding on to the storage unit that, you know, I paid $3,000 for when I didn't even really have the money to pay for it, but I just couldn't let it go because it held sentimental value. To the women who are in these long-term relationships and don't really ever get anything out of it on the back end. We all, because of that attachment that we have to whatever we invested, on the end, we suffer. I think that the key to enjoying life, and I'm learning this, I am learning this. The key to enjoying life is to always be slightly detached, is to always be able to detach at a moment's notice. You should not 
be so sold or so no pun intended, married to an idea, a person, an object, so much so that your refusal to let it go will cause you suffering on the back end. Everything in life is about future gains and losses, whether it be money, whether it be time, any type of resources, energy, everything is about future gains and losses. So when we get into these situations where we're unsure about things, it's so important that we pause and we sit in what we're feeling. We sit in what we're feeling and we understand what we're feeling and we accept what we're feeling. But then from a place of logic, we go, does this make sense? If I look towards the future, what do I stand to gain or to lose if I stay invested in this place, in this situation, in this business, in anything that you got going on? What do I stand to gain or lose by staying invested? Forget the five years that you spent in the relationship. Forget the $60,000 that you've already spent. Forget the furniture and the bed and the blankets that you are attached to, that you have sentimental value attached to. And if anything, I think maybe sentiment might be the only thing that would make sense for you to hold on to because some things are invaluable. There are some things that are invaluable. There are some things that you can't put a price on as far as future losses and gains, but you really do have to step back and consider that and examine that from a place void of emotion. When we are emotional about things, we do make further bad decisions. When we look at things from a place of, does this make sense? Future losses and gains. Not how does this make me feel to let this go? We know how it makes you feel. It makes you feel terrible. Loss aversion. It feels awful. So we make future bad decisions to avoid the discomfort and, and, and avoid the sense of loss. We know it feels terrible. But we have to do things that make sense. And that is where we are going to wrap up sunk cost fallacy. I hope that going forward, you're able to like implement this into your life and how you move forward making decisions, but also understanding that the root of all suffering is attachment. Be slightly detached and be very aware of how your emotions could lead you into making further bad decisions. So now we are going to move along to the vibes for the week. So this week, the song that I've had in rotation, it's not a new song. It is called Just Keep Going and it's by Toby Lou. 
Toby Lou, T-O-B-I, and then Lou, L-O-U. And it's a, it's a bop, literally. It's a bop. Um, it is, I guess, kind of a motivational song, but it's fun. It's very, very fun. You need to just go listen to it. Go listen to it. Just keep going. Toby Lou. So that is the vibe for the week. We are going to wrap this episode up. What we deserve. I want us to, again, free ourselves from the bondage that is being perceived. Write in your y'all don't deserve me journals. What perceptions some people have had about you that you just completely disagreed with or taken aback with, had to clench your pearls and be like, that is not me. But on the flip side of that, also write down perceptions that people have had about you that were good. Because that's a good feeling too when people perceive like great, amazing things about you. Um, Flipping back over to the other side. How does it make you feel when people misperceive you? And it's really not misperceiving you because it's their perception. But how does it make you feel when people that don't know you or know very little about you base what they think about you off of an Instagram post or a Snapchat video? Or and this is um this is something I probably should have brought up when we were talking about that. I was watching a podcast and. The dude's name is Jonathan Dubaton. His podcast is Finesse, Finesse's Only or something like that. But anyway, he was interviewing this girl and her name is Mad Girl Chris. She's an Instagram model. She does OnlyFans. And she basically expressed how she'll be dating or talking to men sometimes. And because she does OnlyFans, they will perceive her to be a certain type of way. And I know that most people are like, girl, you do OnlyFans. But basically, she was saying that they'll be talking to her like, oh, yeah, girl, um, I seen your OnlyFans. You such a freak, da 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 this, that, and the third. And she said immediately she gets offended. Like, I do not like that. Like, I don't like that because that's not me. And you like, girl, that is you. How is that not you? You're in it. But basically what she said is she, she does OnlyFans for money. She's not, uh, she's an actress. That's what she said. She's acting. That the stuff that they're actually doing on OnlyFans, it's basically soft porn. So it looks like they're doing something, but they're actually not. So the perception that she gets is basically that she's a whore. Like any man or most men that come in contact with her to know she's doing OnlyFans or saw her OnlyFans just is perceiving her as a whore. But of course, you know, her friends, her family, the people that know her and love her, they don't perceive her as a whore. They just think, or she just thinks, like, I'm just a girl trying to make money. Like, I do what I do on there, and then I come off there and I live real life. You know, like, I don't conduct myself that way. And I'm not a prostitute. Like, I don't sell, I don't sell vagina. You know, I'm an actress. So I think that that, no, I think that that I think that is very interesting to like live in a world where everyone 
at heart feels like one way about themselves. But then based on the things that you do or say or how you present, other people out in the world will perceive you and pick up things about you that you may not feel is true to who you are. And maybe all of us feel like that on some level, but it's just something that we have to accept and like leave there. You cannot internalize that stuff. I think maybe if that girl thought that like, oh, the things that they're saying about me is true or the way that they're perceiving me or talking to me is true, maybe that would, um, what do you call it? Prevent me from doing this. Or maybe it would stop me from wanting to do this. Well, I don't know about that because this girl at this point has made millions on OnlyFans. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that would deter me if I was, you know, 10 toes down in, in that way. But to go back to the example earlier from JT or myself, like, is people's reflection of you then causing you to curb who you actually are? And if you as a person like yourself, love yourself, you know, and content with who you are, you can't allow perceptions that other people have about you to affect you so much that you become a shell of who you actually are. So write those things down and release them out into the atmosphere and acknowledge that people are allowed to have their perceptions, but they don't have to affect you. Accept and understand that that's what it is. And if there are things that you, that people are perceiving about you that you want to change, then that's fine too. But if you know who you are at heart and you don't feel as though the perceptions are actually who you are, then stand to 10 toes down in it. And again, it's none of your business how other people perceive you. Next, sunk cost fallacy. What things have you done? Think of two things in your life, two situations in your life that you have been in where you have, where you have, uh, negatively been impacted by the sunk cost fallacy. Like reflect on those things of a time when you felt so financially, energy-wise, time-wise, emotionally invested in something that on the other side, the losses far outweighed, the future losses far outweighed what you invested on that other side. But because of loss aversion, you couldn't just let it go. Write those examples down. And reflect on them. And then think about how in the future you could use this principle to just let go. In the midst of situations where you are just so attached. In the midst of situations. An attachment is not bad if it's benefiting you. <laughs> it's not bad if it's benefiting you. The root. The in, in this quote, it says the root of all suffering is attachment. Some attachment is not going to cause you to suffer. Or, wait a minute. The root of all suffering is attachment. If I think about that, another quote that popped into my head is everything in moderation. So even if you're attached to something and you're benefiting from it, 
could it at some point turn into suffering or am I thinking too hard? I'm like creating a math problem in my head that I probably need to think about. I'm going to think about after I wrap this up. But um, the root of all suffering is attachment, basically. Apply that to the subcourse fallacy in the way that sometimes you just need to let things go. In short. And with that, we are going to wrap this episode of the I Don't Deserve Me podcast up. Hope you enjoyed. Love you. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.